I love to go to the ocean because there's something uh, for me when I look at the water and the sky and they come together and you can't tell which one's which. For me, that's a glimpse of like eternity. It's just going and going. You can get lost in that space. It's so amazing for me to think of this ocean that is round but not spilling out. And I mean, the whole thing is so <laughs> weird to me. And then the sky meets it. And then I had like a bonus night. So on Monday night, the weather was got kind of weird and bad. But I woke up in the middle of the night and I don't, it just with this weird thought of go outside. So I, I went outside and I thought, you know, it might be raining, who knows. I went outside and it was crystal clear. When you're out at Grayland, you're away from the city and the lights, and you can see the stars like crazy. And I, my neck actually hurt because I was looking up for so long. There was, I could see as far as you can see and then beyond. And I'd never seen, you know, what it meant when they say like there's a cluster of galaxies. Like it, it was so weird to see it all up there. And it didn't, I mean... You know, the next night and the next night, I tried to find it one other night. I actually got to see it. But I got lost in that eternal space of looking up. It just reminded me that forever goes on forever. And in the back of my human brain, because I'm, you know, I'm just smart enough to be dangerous, in the back of my human brain, it says that we know that the universe is always expanding. They think it's expanding at over a million miles an hour. That is, and so that's where my brain just doesn't work anymore. But it's always going, and it's always, and I could see that for a moment. And I'd like just to tell you that we could almost end on there if we really landed right there. My job today is to remind us of the reality of eternity. That there's a spiritual realm which is forever, and it trumps what we see on planet Earth every time. We're going to be looking at several miracles today. It's basically the story of Balaam. A guy, and it's really not Balaam, it's really Shesaw, which is the donkey that speaks. So we're going to be looking at a donkey that speaks today. But before we get there, I want to make sure that our brains go into that spiritual realm, because the last time I checked, donkeys don't speak in such a way that we have dialogue with them like they did in Numbers 22. And so I need you to actually believe that what I'm about to say is factual actual recorded history. You know, Kirk's been using these expressions in the first two of these fun summer series, you know, these miracles. And he says, it blows my mind, or my mind can barely figure this out. I don't know, raise your hand if you've been talking to a donkey, maybe a few. How many of you have had the donkey talk back? That, if that doesn't start blowing our mind, we're not in the right place. I'm asking you to let your mind go through a place of eternity where you know God can speak even through a donkey today. And this is factual, actual, and real. And it happened to a people and they recorded it. And if it happened then, it can happen now. Isn't that weird? But we're going to see that we're not here to get donkeys to speak. We're actually here to speak so donkeys don't have to. That's the conclusion. So in my notes, it said if they say amen right there, I get to quit, but... Oh, I'm just, if that really would have landed, I was ready. I was done, man. If we can speak in such a way that we can release eternity from the spiritual realm to our human beings on planet crazy and the physical realm can receive it, we will change everything. We will actually be the people of God and do what he's commissioned us to. That's our job. Our job is, as you said, is to be able to bring heaven to earth in such a way that there's a assurance that that spiritual forever realm, the truth and life of God is more real than what we can experience on, on this, this realm. That's what we get to do. And in that, it, it doesn't come across authentic unless it is. You can't fabricate it. You can't fake it. You can't jumpstart God, aren't you glad? It's just because you see him, you catch him, you know that he's real, that all of a sudden it just is released from us. It's his, his very spirit and life within us that begins to do what only he can do. And that's what we were made for. It's such a beautiful place to be. Well, I, uh, I think it was interesting. So we're going to get into this. But I want to give you a little bit of the background in Numbers 21. And first of all, we're talking about the Hebrew nation, right? And so they are the chosen people of God. And guess what they were just doing? They just spent the last 400 years in slaves 
as Hebrews to the Egyptians. 400 years of it. I mean, doesn't feel like the favor chosen people of God to me when you're in slavery for 400 years. And so God brings them out of that through many miracles. He brings them out of it. Now they're in 40 years of the desert and they've been whining, complaining, and kind of going literally like sideways. They just keep going sideways instead of into the promised land that God wants to bring them to, into that very place of uh, favor. And so we see that the older generation doesn't get to go into the promised land because they didn't have the faith to step into it. And so the promised land isn't a physical place called Jerusalem or Israel. It's a place where the spiritual realm trumps the physical realm. That's the promised land. Before this morning's over, you guys are going to know where you say, amen, and then it lands. I mean, again, do you hear that? People sit there and say, I can't wait. I'm going to give money so they can rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Right? Give money so they can rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. That would be a beautiful thing if God's leading you to do that. Do you understand that he's already built the temple right in here? That we are his temple. We're the ones that release the spiritual blessings to planet crazy. It's you and I. We get to do that. That is a remarkable spiritual responsibility that the followers of Jesus Christ get to do. And so the Hebrew nation, they're coming out of slavery. They don't have the faith. The new generation is going to get to go in because God's will will be done. He will create his chosen people doing his chosen work. He's going to do it. He's getting ready to bring them in. It's interesting to see the transition. You really see it in Numbers 21. And by the way, uh, I read the Bible um, pretty much every day. And so I read maybe a paragraph or a chapter or a little bit more. But I read uh, through a book, and then I'll go to another book. It's a beautiful thing when you get to Numbers, because I can tell you Numbers and Leviticus are books I will not read unless I have to, because I'm going through the Bible, you know, reading it. Because they're not real exciting to me. Some of you are accountants, maybe, and you love numbers. And so you read it. But it's all this data, 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 data. I want to make sure that we see the miracle in the data for a moment here. It's, it's unreal, almost. If you crunch these numbers, it won't make sense. We put it that way. And so these, this new generation is getting ready to go into this promised land. And so God's got to move them from this almost like a deficit mindset of being uh, taken advantage of to a place of speaking a voice to the disadvantage. So he's got to move them from a place where they actually have a mindset and a heart of abundance to give to others and not to shy away as we were singing, you know, not to have the fear, but to know that his power is there and to move in that power. The older generation didn't make it. The, well, two of them did. The new generation are going to make it. And so God's releasing them. So now they get right up to this city called Jericho. And on, they're on the other side of the Jordan River close. And they camp out. And this is they're getting ready to go in, the new guys. And they have a victory. And it's like, isn't that great? So they're feeling pretty good about themselves. They're starting to take over those borderlands and moving in the right direction. And then all of a sudden, God says, we're going to now move you around this side because we're not going to take you through Edom. I have a promise with them, so we're going to go the long way around, and they start grumbling again, just like their parents did. I mean, they are grumbling. And so then they said, we might as well just go back to Egypt. You weren't even in Egypt. You're a new generation. I mean, that's how bad it is. Parents, be careful what we whine about. They want to go back. And they, I mean, they haven't been there. It's like, oh, my gosh. So anyway, God says, I tell you what, I got a plan for you. I'm going to release poisonous snakes to bite you and kill you. Is that bizarre? That's not the plan I'm signing up for. And so, guys, this, this is what he does. He releases poisonous, fire-biting snakes is what it says in Hebrew. Fire-biting. I don't even know what that means. It's, it's poisonous. And so they get snake bit. And then they turn to Moses and they said, on second thought, we don't want to go back. We're sorry. God, you know, we're willing to go where you want us and we're willing to quit complaining. But Moses, you've just got to intercede for us. You're the man. You speak the word of God. Make him take the snakes away. So Moses goes to God and he intercedes. Guess what God says? I will not remove the snakes. I love God sometimes when he pulls the father card. I'm not removing those snakes. 
But I'll tell you what we will do. You get a pole, we're going to fashion a little bronze snake on it. And you lift that up as the new standard. And anyone who sees that snake on that pole that's been snake bit, they'll be healed. The medical people, of the, the emblem for medicine today is still that pole. Isn't that weird? Here's two things I want us to land on today. This story is a factual, actual thing. Even the medical doctors knew that this was a sign of healing. Right? It's been distorted and weirded all through the 4,000 years. But people, they knew that this story had a substance to it. And they've used it in the medical profession. But here's the thing that I really want us to make sure we take away with. God wasn't going to force feed faith them. He wasn't going to say, okay, I'll take away all the problems. I'll take away the poisonous snakes so that you don't have to have faith to overcome. No, I'm going to let you get snake bit. But when you have the faith to look on this, you'll be made well. And so he's not looking to be a transactional God that takes all of our problems away. He's looking to be a transformative God that enables us to overcome problems. And we've got to get that if we're going to get into the promised land and release the blessings from having to planet crazy. Isn't it an amazing way? Isn't that a journey? I, I just love the way he's, he's just telling you, this is, where, this is how it's going to go, folks. And by the way, you whining and having your loser mindset, it's going to make you have to get snake bit till you get to live above it to where you see that faith trumps fear. And so it's, it's a thing. So then after that, they go, okay, let's take them on. They go and they win in two more cities. And they're big areas. Again, right out on the river, they're just getting ready to go over. They have two amazing victories, and they're feeling great about themselves. And this is where the story begins today with the talking donkey. So what happens, and I'll just release a little bit of it, is that God's saying, okay, now we're more of a spiritual place where we're getting it. And when you go in, you're going to have to do it through a spiritual victory. It's not going to be a human victory, right? That's what we've already said. And this just so lines up with Jesus. Uh, you know, sometimes we segregate the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they're supposed to be led together, right? Yeah. One's a fulfillment. One's in a, just, a, uh, just a beautifying of the others, what it really is. But if you go to John uh, 4.23, Jesus said the exact same thing. And I just want us to read it here. Because Jesus wants to make sure that you and I understand that when he showed up, that just like the snake on the pole said this is healing, when Jesus was on the pole, that was salvation, wasn't it? And so it, it, everything was completely different. That's, that's our mark. It's not just for physical healing. Jesus on that cross of that crucifixion is our sign that there is salvation, that there is eternal life. That's where the clouds in the horizon meet. Right? That's where forever, that's the landing place for it. And I was looking for a picture of it because I wanted you to get to see it, you know, in comparison with, you know, like the uh, snake on the bronze pole. But there's no picture of Christ on the cross that I could find that really worked. You know what I mean? Uh, it's such an awe thing that God gave his own life. And then on some of the crucifixions I saw, it was like a pretty Jesus, you know, wrapped up in different things. Uh, and we know, we know the data. The data is that he was beaten nearly to death. On that, and so it, it's just not a pretty picture. But I want us to recognize that there's a spiritual truth here that you and I will not be able to come to the Father except through the Son. And unless the Son gives His life for you and I, we will not be transformed to be able to do the heavenly things. There's no heavenly transactions outside of Jesus. And Jesus came to transform us. He didn't come and said, hey, this is a nice little way to live. He came and he gave his life away and died so that we could come into a new life. It's a pretty, pretty remarkable thing that he's done. But he set it up. He said, you know, an hour is coming, and this is where I want us to make sure we land, and now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God's not looking for a crowd. God is looking for seekers. He's looking for people who are seeking him and his eternal kingdom. Those are the ones that have a spiritual eyesight that he can interact with and make himself real. 
And so it's a beautiful thing, and I love Kurt's message on Gideon. God says, well, you know, you're doing pretty good, but it's kind of man-centered, so let's just knock it down a few, make it faith-centered. So we'll go down to 300. How's that feel? Terrible, if you're a human, right? But if God's going to fight, then that feels great. But you actually have to, have, by faith, believe that God's going to fight that battle. And so that's just the way it is. So I want us to recognize that the reality of the spiritual realm is more real than the physical realm. So let's think about it. Eternity goes on forever. Physical realm, temporal, right? Physical realm, flesh and blood only lasts so much. It's decaying, it's dying. Oh my gosh, when I was a little kid, it was so cool. You grew up, you feel like you're going to be this big guy and Maybe you can wait to grow up, and then you grow up, and you go like, can I put this on pause, man? Because it's like I'm, I'm growing down now. It's like this isn't what I really thought. The human body is human, but it's made to inhabit the spirit of the living God. That makes it remarkable to me. So that's what's going on. But I want us to recognize that the reality of the spiritual realm is who God is and the way he set it up, just so that we make sure that we're not coming to church to be nice people. We're coming to church because church is a part of what spiritually alive people do. And as Kurt said, it's where we go to get our spiritual muscle strength, right? And so just let me say from the very beginning, let's look at four things real quick. From the very beginning in Genesis 1, 1, there, 1 through 3, and Kurt had spoken on this with life as well, remember, that the Spirit was moving over the waters, and God brought light, which was his glory, because he wanted to be exalted through all creation, right? And so his glory has weight and substance. And so it's real, just like we say in the first law of thermodynamics, that matter never ceases to exist. It's a forever nature. That's real, people. Take it. That's just the way it is. Matter never ceases to exist. Why is that physical realm, people? Because it has an eternal substance. Oh, wait a minute. So eternal substance trumps physical substance. We know it in science, right? Come on, that's the way it really works. So from the very beginning, eternal substance was used to create everything that's been created. So we've got to have eternal lens and eyesight for us to experience the fullness of life. Physical Life is nothing compared to what you can see with, with eternal forever lens. And, and that's the way it's just big, been from the beginning. That's a given. Number two is that the spiritual realm has been with us not only from the beginning, but in the midst of our madness. In the, in the midst of all the chaos and the crazy and the whirlwinds that are going on, there's a point where you can almost take life with your TV remote and hit pause button and just have everything pause for a moment and recatch your eternal center and be reminded of, wait a minute, I'm not worried about what's happening in this moment because the king of all moments is on my side and my corner down my back. It's a whole different perspective. And we know this, and, uh, and I, I love the story of Elijah and his servant, and they think they're going to be captured and defeated and Elijah prays, says, open his eyes, and all of a sudden he says, wow, there's a whole host of heavenly angels and chariots and fire around us. We're going to kick butt. I mean, that's what he ends up seeing. We've got this one because he's here. And if you could have seen that from the beginning, you didn't have to waste all of our time being anxious and paralyzed by fear, right? And so I'm just asking you right now, would you just take a moment, please? I don't know where you're at, but would you just ask God to activate your eternal eyesight. Just, just like Elijah said to his, his servant, Lord, would you open his eyes? Would you ask the Lord, open my eyes, God, right now? I was talking with Isaac earlier. He said he stayed up late last night. He's tired. And right now, maybe his eyes are heavy. I don't know that. You know what? He's probably upstairs helping the kids or something. Or somewhere. His eyes can be open, regardless of how heavy they are, to see eternity right now. To see God's eternal plan for our own lives is such, such an amazing. Would you just ask the Lord again, Lord, open my eyes so I can see what you're really doing in my life. And in this message, it's going to happen. 
He's going to start explaining the way it really works. Our responsibility is simply this. Lord, open my eyes. And he also says that he will have his spirit move forward when we come to the end of ourselves. He says, a broken spirit and a contrite God, a contrite heart, God, you'll never despise. Isn't that amazing? So when we come to the end of ourselves, there's the spirit. That's when the spirit does the best work. Sometimes we come to the end of ourselves and we give up. We should be giving in to the spirit at that point. There's so many different ways where the Lord shows us to be true. And then also the spirit of the living God is going to be sent to us until the end of all time on planet Earth. Until the return of Christ. Now, I want you to know this is a brief theology that we need to make sure we go through because there's a a movement called the cessationist movement where they believe that the gifts of God and the moving of the Holy Spirit ceased when the scripture was canonized. So that, that means that once we had our written Bible to be able to carry truth, we no longer needed God to do miracles to prove truth and to authenticate it. There's a whole group of people that have believed that. And as a Southern Baptist, which is what I was trained in and got uh, a master's and a doctorate degree in, uh, there were several of uh, about half of that believe in that, right? They, they believe that there are no gifts this day, that the Holy Spirit doesn't move that way, that the Holy Spirit inspires our mind to understand Scripture. Well, if your Holy Spirit's inspiring your mind to read Scripture, then you go to Acts chapter 2, and you see where the Holy Spirit moves on people. And then he uses scripture to say, and he's going to do it until the end of time. Now you have to go like this. Scripture just said that the Holy Spirit's moving on us doing miracles and powers until he returns. And so it's all there, folks. I just want to acknowledge, I'm not sure where you're at with the Holy Spirit, but I'm, I'm trying to be wherever he's at. And he says he's moving until, and here, if you want to end, he says until the, the moon turns red and, you know, the sky's blood. At that point, it's pretty much over, all right? We're good at it. But just read it. It's all uh, in here. And so anyway, uh, at, that's Acts 2, 17 through 21, and then Acts uh, 26, 18, and 24 through 28. Paul's going to even say this to, to the kings. Uh, hey, you, you need to understand that I've just got to go with what the Spirit's moving because the Spirit's going to move to the end. All right, if we can believe that, if we're all with that now, there is a Holy Spirit, and He's real. Are we aware? Are our eyes open to want to see the Spirit move in our own individual corners and spheres of influence on planet crazy? If we're there now, we get to see what God does with this speaking donkey. Just uh, stay with me. It's a weird story. Uh, if bronze, you know, poles and snakes isn't weird enough, uh, we're, we're going to get... Uh, Pretty miraculous here. So uh, let's go to Numbers chapter 21, and we're going to look at verses uh, 4, I mean 22, uh, 1 through 6. Numbers 22, 1 through 6. And so when you listen to it as I read or you read along, hear the story of it, but again, it's an actual, factual, you know, accounting of what took place. It's not, oh, let's, let's learn a good story. So it says, then the sons of Israel journeyed, and they camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan, opposite Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So Moab was in great fear because of the people, for they were numerous, and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. Moab said to the elders of Midian, now this horde, isn't this hysterical? Because at one moment, just a little bit before, the people were terrified to go in and do the fighting. But what they didn't know is that the people that they were fighting against were terrified of them. Isn't it interesting? And so God's releasing them. Everything's ready. Let's get ready. You're going to go. So he has them camp. And now we see what's going on with the quote-unquote enemy Balak. He's looking at it and going, this is not good. And he's seeing the people of God as soldiers. He's not seeing them as children of slaves. He's seeing these as soldiers looking for victory. But the fact that he calls him a horde, if you grew up in a family of seven kids, you like the word horde. I mean, you just do. It's like people go, here come that Schaefer horde again. Here come those seven kids. It's like seven people can do some damage when you're little kids. Can you imagine 1.5 million males or whatever, and then all however many that ends up being? I'd be a little bit nervous, too, seeing them camping outside my city. 
So he says, now this horde will look up all, lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. And Black, the son of Zippor, was king of Moab at that time. So he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the service of the land, and they are living opposite me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. And so he's saying, I need you to come and curse these people for me so that perhaps it'll really work. They'll get all messed up and we can beat them. Because I know I've seen this happen before. When you bless people, they've been blessed. And when you curse people, they've been cursed. So Balak's at the end of his rope. He doesn't have an answer. He's going to lose in the physical realm. The numbers are against him. Amen? So he gets desperate and actually says, I better do something spiritual. And friends, I, I hope we, we own this up. So, so many times it's like, okay, I can't win this battle on my own. I guess I better call on God. I better, I better get some help in this area. I just want you to know, again, God isn't a transactional God for hire. We think he's there for hire, for lease, or whatever. He's not. He's there to be sought. Seek the Lord. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else happens. But if you want anything else without seeking him and his goodness, his righteousness, then it doesn't work. You, you turn him into a transactional God when he's a transformative God. He's coming to transform us. He's not here to be doing transactions on our bidding, right? And so anyway, Black says, I need you to do a transaction. I got This is a spiritual matter now. It's out of my hands. And so you need to come and curse. What's terrifying to me in this is that he knows that Balaam's had success in blessing and cursing people. And so th this should cause us to tremble a little bit because the spiritual realm isn't one-sided. It's not just like God wants everybody to be happy and then we die one day and we get pulled into some beautiful spiritual ooze. It's just not how it's working. It's There's right, there's wrong, there's good, there's evil, there's heaven, there's hell. I'm just telling you, that's the way it works. Come on, amen? amen? I feel like we're a little bit like wrestling today. This is, this is mission critical to get this. That's the way it really works. This isn't like, oh, you know, let's just go and just do the best we can, and maybe God will have something that he can do that would make life on planet Earth less miserable for us. That's not it. No, I want to transform you because you're going to transform everything. That's how it works. So he's setting them up. I think that uh, the reality with Balak is that he came to the war, came to uh, Balaam because he, that was the only word he knew to go to, right? That's the spiritual frame of reference he had. That's what God was really trying to change in the first place. I will be exalted. Call unto me. And so our responsibility is to be there so that people know that there is hope, that there is life in the Lord, and that they're, when they call on us, they're actually calling on God. And so people are going to call out. When, when they get desperate and the world doesn't work for them anymore, we start crying out. And that's when we, the body of Christ, need to be at our best. That's when we welcome people. That's when we come alongside. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And so, so when you get snake bit, tell them to look to the bronze, you know, Snake, move them to faith, move them to Christ. But we're going to get snake bit. And I just think it's easy uh, just to uh, come to a place where you say, well, I, God, if I'm really miserable here, so if you'll do something for me, then I'll take you more seriously. And, it, and I'm just letting you know it doesn't work that way. Again, because that's, see, that's a transaction. The transformation is, is I'm seeking you. And I'm laying my life on the line that you're real. And that's my faith place. And I'm going to step out. I'm going to take the first step instead of having you be the last stop. You're going to be my first step, God. My first step of faith instead of my last stop of desperation. Now, this is the beautiful thing. If we have God be our last stop, he'll still help us. Isn't he great? It's just that he's got to do all this damage control that we've put into motion. 
And so call out to him, even if, it's, if you're at your last you know, stopping place, still cry out to him. But I'm just telling you, it's better when he's your first step than your last stop. So now we, we hear this. Now Balaam, this prophet, uh, a pagan prophet, speaks back to Balak. This is what he says. You'll see it in verses uh, Numbers 22, 8 through 12. So he said to them, spend the night here, and I'll bring word back to you as the Lord may speak to me. And the leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. It's almost like, don't you know who these guys are? I mean, isn't it interesting that God even comes and says, who are these people? Do you really think God didn't know who those people were? No, he's really saying, who are you hanging with? What, what kind of people are you trying to interact with right now? And so do you, do you really know what you're getting into? Is what God's saying to him. And so uh, Balaam says, you know, there are these people. And in verse 11, behold, there's a people who came out of Egypt, and they cover the surface of the land. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I'm revealed to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, do not go you shall not curse the people for their blessed. I don't know what's more remarkable here, that God's speaking to a pagan priest guy, or that the reality of it is that the Balaam is being so honest before the Lord. It's really kind of a beautiful story, even at this point. He's saying, no, God, I'm just trying to figure this out. This is how I earn a living. They came to me. It's really not my fault. So I'm just trying to seek you and give them some advice. And by the way, I get paid for it. I think it's also very clear that God's willing to meet him and say, all right, here's what I want you to do. Number one, do not go with him. Number two, don't speak one word that's a curse against these people or you're a dead man. That's basically what he says. Now let's see where it goes from here. Uh, Numbers 22, 18 to 21, we're going to jump down. Balaam replied uh, to the servants, well, we'll do a little bit of catch up. So Balaam says, well, God said I'm not supposed to curse. So they go, okay, we, we need to entice you more because you don't care enough. You're trying to hold out for more money is what Balak's thinking. So the Balak says, I tell you what, we're going to send you more money and we're going to send you more important people. Then maybe you'll curse for us, right? And it's so fascinating to me that we're like that. It really is. Again, if we didn't get our way the first time, we think, okay, what we really need to do is, is just impress you with more important people so that you feel better about yourself, or we'll give you more money than you'll do it our way. In other words, you're going to sell out to us. That's what they're hoping. Now, come on, how many of us have been in those areas where we are enticed? And it's like we wanted to do the right thing, and all of a sudden just the stakes got too high or we didn't get our way in, we could, or we weren't noticing if we do that, the cool people will notice us, right? And so we sell out for earthly pats on the back that only push us further down and away from the Lord. And so it's, you see that happening. So they send uh, wealthier people, more people, and they try it again, and that's uh, Numbers 22, 18 to 21. So Balaam replied to the, to the extra servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could do nothing either small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. Is that amazing? Man, Balaam is moving in the right direction. Now, please, you also stay here tonight, and I'll find out what else the Lord will speak to me. Wait a minute. He's just like, boom, boom. It's like, listen, he really is my God. He's big. He's bad. I got to do what he says. And, oh, but you brought more riches. So I've got an idea. Instead of going with you and interacting with you, I'll just try again. I'll try a plan B, or I'll try to outmaneuver, manipulate him so that I can get the riches and say what he wants me to say. I'm going to play these things together. And this is where in my notes I go, dear God, I am bound. I'm always like negotiating with God. If you can just do this for me, then I feel like I could do that better for you. Yeah. If you would bring these people into my corner, then we could do something really great for the city of Lakewood. But we need boom, 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 right? And so we're sitting there doing the negotiations when God's just going, man, I thought I was enough. Last time I checked, I got this. 
then I need you to have faith, but you're moving away to stuff again. You're, you're self-absorbed, and I need you to be kingdom-minded. And so uh, he, he's telling, all right, maybe I'll have God uh, figure out something. So we'll spend the night, we'll try it again. Now look in verse 20. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, now before, if you wouldn't have read that, I'm, I was thinking as I'm reading it, God was going to say, now I'm mad. Now I'm really mad. Now I'm pissed. I'm just done with you. I'm going to smash you like a bug, is what I thought he was going to say uh, to Balaam. But what he says, if the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. Can you see the sarcasm there? Trish, can you see the sarcasm there? If that's what you want, you go ahead. You just you try that. Let's see how that works for you. That's what he's saying. Go with him. But only the word which I speak to you shall you do. And oh, by the way, I told you not to go with him. So this Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. All right. You're already moving in the wrong direction. You're moving away from eternity, and you're moving back to the temporal, thinking you're going to be able to get gain from that. And yet you're a spiritual being who sells spiritual things. Yeah. It's, and none of it really makes sense. And I wish we can see that too in our lives when we sell out and try to take the shortcuts or play both sides of it. Oh, I want to be wealth and lovey and prosperity and all this promised things. And then I'll try to tell people that it was God that gave it to me. Right? No, just tell people about who God is and bless people. And whatever happens, happens. That's where it's really supposed to work. And if prosperity comes, great. And if snakes come, great. But we're on the eternal path. That's who we are. That's where we go. That's what we do. And so uh, to me, uh, I just want to, in my life, if God says something, I want to give him something to work with. I want to, I want to do it. I really do. It's like, can we just do what he says? Give him something to be able to miracleize? I see these superstitious people all the time. They'll go to horoscopes. And what I, I know it's called a horoscope. I call them horror scopes. And they'll look at stuff and they'll say, okay, now I'm brave enough to step out because my horoscope said this. Are you crazy? Some demon probably wrote that. Who knows where that came from? But if God says move, I want to move. Why would I need confirmation from a horoscope or a fortune this or whatever that? Listen, if the Lord is giving some direction, I'm stepping out. I want to give him something to work with. I'm not looking for something else as a shortcut. And that's the beauty of it. And that's what we're seeing right here. God's saying, I needed you to step out. You didn't step out, but I'm still going to work with you. We're going to do the best we can. I'm going to give you another chance. Go with him. But that's not what I wanted you to do. Are we clear on that? Now he says to him, but you need to know, if you curse them, you are a dead man. I will kill you. That's all right here. This is that, the way it really works. There is a line of no return where you start working against God's kingdom. And I think he just removes us on the benefit of everybody. So now we, here he is. He's going. Now let's go to Numbers 22, 20. A two through 30. Are you liking the story yet? Is this yeah. weird or what? I told you. Now we go from sort of weird that this stuff really happened to super weird. This is where it's like supernaturally weird. So I'm just warning you right now, God's going to use a donkey to finally get through to Balaam. God can get through to him. So he says, okay, I guess I have to use an animal that's more on your level. So we'll just get a donkey. That's what he does. And people, for some of us, we're already checking out, going, you know, I'm not reading the rest of this story. This is, this is too weird. I want you to know that in my life, there was one point, and I mean, I love my mom, my mother, and I believe she's in heaven now through the miracles of God redeeming her life. But um, I just knew she always loved me. I respected her so much. But every now and then she could be weird, okay? She could just be, I mean, if you have seven kids, maybe something gets, you know, jostled up there. I don't know how that works. But she could be a little bit weird. We're at the branch one day, and she says, Marty, Marty, she runs it. You need to come see this. Her horse, she had a white horse named Spook. Spook is trying to speak to me. And I'm sitting there thinking, I love you so much. I respect you so much. But do I really want to get up and see a horse? 
It's like, Mom, have you been watching Mr. Ed reruns or something? What are you thinking? She said, no, he's trying to speak. And so, I mean, I, because of my love for her, I get up, I go outside, and the horses, really, as the Lord and my mom and all my family's watching, the horse's lips were moving. I was just sitting there going, listening, and then all of a sudden, the loudest, most disgusting sound, and it didn't come from his mouth. It came from the back. The poor horse had gas, and was, you know, just trying to deal with it. And it was, it was like, okay, Mom, horses don't speak. And that was disgusting. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's almost how weird this is. In this case, the donkey speaks. Are you ready? So, but God was angry because Baum was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. And I didn't have this on. Oh, beautiful. Uh, with him. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. See what's happening? All of a sudden, the donkey sees there's an angel of the Lord with a sword, and the donkey's thinking, I'm not sure if he's going to kill me or him, but regardless, I'm not going there. And so the donkey diverts and goes into the field. But Balaam the prophet who's supposed to be able to see spiritual things, right, struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. In other words, I want, I'm trying to make the donkey take me where I'm going to get killed. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path of the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw, the donkey sees again, right, the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. And he's going, hey, you're not doing what I want you to do. Take me where I can get my head cut off. Verse 26, then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right hand or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under the mouth uh, of the donk, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, This is where it just gets really weird, okay? It's bad enough that a donkey's talking to you, but then when you enter into conversation back with the donkey, and then we're going to see some real self-revelation in what uh, Balaam says to the donkey. He said to the donkey, because you have made a mockery of me. Can we just stop right there for a moment? Balaam, you've made a mockery of yourself, man. That donkey has, is making you look as good as you can, keeping you alive. The mockery is that you say that God's your God. You called him my Lord, and you're not even doing what he says. That's the mockery. And why are you blaming and striking others? Come on. Isn't this cool? So now we not only get to be Balaam, who is a little bit trying to manipulate God. Now we get to be Balaam when we try to blame others for doing what's godly when we're not. In this you know, psychological world, that's called projection. And then the uh, Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a mockery of me. If there had been a sword in my hand, the donkey's thinking, sword? There is a sword. <laughs> and it's in the angel of the Lord's hand, and your head's in the line, right? I would have killed you by now, the donkey said to Balaam. Am I not your donkey in which you've ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, no. I love this donkey. Donkey's going like, dude, haven't I always gone where you've asked? Haven't I carried you as my burden all these days, all this time? Do I have a history of disrupting your life? So couldn't you at least for my sake trust me on this one? Did you really have to beat me three times? And I just think it's amazing to me that Balaam is saying, you know what? You've made me so mad I could have killed you because you were making me feel bad. But worse than that, 
I will, I'd be willing to kill you even though you served me all these years. Isn't that bad? And so there's no empathy. There's, there's just something really missing, which is usually evidence of a transactional life versus a transformed life. Those of us who have had God really be our Lord, we can't treat people like that. Say amen. amen. We're not going to take advantage of people. We're not going to strike people who don't do what we want. In fact, we learn through this amazing book of Romans 12, verse 21, specifically, if you want to overcome evil, overcome evil by doing good. That's the way it works in the spiritual realm. So if you're not implementing that, you're not moving ahead spiritually. And so there's such a void here that very, becomes very clear, and the donkey makes it evident. And so this is what's interesting to me, is that God opens the mouth of a donkey to be able to save the life of somebody who's resisting him. And again, here's where I love the miracle story. And I'm, I'm not, you know, so far I've been trying to help us see that we're kind of like Gollum, right? Now I hope you'll see that maybe we could be like the donkey. Maybe we could just be like that donkey and just serve people, not working. Where we would give, we would see the warnings and cry out and try to help people not lose their lives. What a, that's our destiny is to be like a donkey and to be able to even come to that place where our credibility is so high that when we say pause, people pause. And when God gives us something that we see, that we would be willing to open our mouth and give him something to work with. Can I tell you what we're going to work with? Is if we will bless people and not curse them, God will use that. Now this is where we have to go backwards for a moment. And here's, here's just about the conclusion. And so I'm looking for Jason. What I want us to do is to understand that, and I love that last song that we sang. Jason, you know when you play music quietly? He's my refuge, he's my protector. If that was playing, that'd be awesome, but you play whatever you want. No, I mean, was that song, Trish, that song was bad. Yeah. Because it fits so well with what I'm about to say. I want you to look at Numbers uh, 6, verses 24 through 27. Because at the beginning of Numbers, God said, here's what we're going to do, new generation. This is what we're going to do. Come on, everybody. This is what we're going to do, new generation. We've got to get this. This is where we're at the most alert of our life for the day right now. You will get this. Is that we're going to go into the promised land, but the promised land is a place of blessing. And I'm going to have you blessed so that you can bless. Even those who curse you will be blessed by you. And I'm telling you, open your mouth and bless, but don't curse. And we know Jesus said the same thing. We know it's all throughout the New Testament. Our responsibilities as believers are to bless, not curse. And it's going to begin by me blessing you. And so he goes like this. He goes, Moses, we're going to set it up to where you and Aaron and Aaron's priests, his sons and the priests, they're going to invoke my name. They're going to grab me in such a way that I will then bless people because they're willing to bless them. I'm going to give them the words to speak a blessing, but I, God from heaven, will bless them through the words that the human race speaks. Now, here's what I need you to do. That's what God's doing with us. And then the rest of it's how it all unfolds, right? So we, we saw in Numbers 22, the miracle people isn't even that God spoke to a donkey or that a donkey spoke. The miracle is that you and I get to bless people who are currently under a curse. And that the blessing moves the very heaven room, the treasure room of God, and it releases things to planet crazy that can transform it. And what we don't want to do is to miss it or transactionalize it. And so even when we pray this, it's not a transactional prayer. It's an opportunity to transform others' prayer. And I'm not sure if you've ever been able to pray this prayer. This is the oldest recorded history. I mean, in history, the oldest recorded prayer of all time that we know. It's the most documented of all. It's an amazing blessing. 
And I just want to read it, not over you, but I want to read it over a person so that you can see that it's real and that this is what we're to do. So I asked for Tyler, if he would come forward and just allow me to share this ironic great blessing of all time to another individual that he might be able to receive it. Because we're going to be asking that God cause his favor to rest. Father, thank you so much. And I just want to say that when we talk about God's blessing, that's his goodness. That's the weight of who he is. And we talk about God's favor. It's not that he's going to sit there and do nice things for you. It's going to mean that he sees you as his favorite. That's what he's going to do. And it's a beautiful thing to be God's favorite, isn't it? Now listen, again, I had seven, six siblings, three brothers, three sisters, seven kids in my family. We all would go to my mom and say, who's your favorite? And she would say, you are. And then Robin would go, who's, who's your favorite? And she'd say, Robin. And say, no, you just said I was. In my mom's heart, we were all our favorites. When we talk about God's favor being given to you, it's not separating you from anyone else. It's allowing you to come to that deep place of knowing that you're his favorite. I mean, that he has favor in, in you, and that he sees you that way, and he just wants to be able to shower everything that he has that's good to equip you to make a difference. And so that's what we're getting ready to do. So I just want to say to you, really, my son, in the Lord Jesus Christ, as my brother in Christ, I want to say the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you, which means to protect you. Yes, Lord, and may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance on you, his favor, and give you shalom and peace in the Lord God. And may you, my brother in Christ, invoke his name and share that blessing with others. For I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Bless you, man. Thank you. I'm wondering if we can leave that up there, numbers 6, 24, and 26, while we're playing. I'm wondering if you would just, if your spouse is here, if you guys would just look and just read it to each other. If, if you see somebody around you and word says, go pray it on them, would you just do that? Would we just, can we use the strength of the word and the promises of God to impart them to another person? Because we're going to do it outside of here, right? And so if you invoke my name, I will bless. We need to be doing it one to another, and we need to be doing it to all as well. So... Let's, let's go ahead, just have some time, look one to another, give an opportunity. Maybe uh, husbands, read it to your wife, wife, read it to your husbands. But read it, say it, impart it. Let's do it. <laughs> 